Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. Here on the podcast, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, for lots of free resources for teachers. Download any and all of them right on the homepage, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 154. So I am recording this here on Monday. Monday, Monday is always the podcast recording day. Monday, October 25th, 2021. And I'm really excited to bring you another episode where I have the opportunity to interview someone. And this is just, I just got off the recording of this episode with Molly, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Uh, I'll dive right into a little bit of background on uh, Molly, who will be our guest today. Molly Casto is the owner, uh, she's a yoga teacher, and she is also the owner of the Practice Power Yoga in Bozeman, Montana. And Molly and I connected, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the episode. Uh, we connected uh, recently because I had put a kind of a call out on my social media uh, channel there, my Instagram, I believe, that I was interested in talking to folks, uh, yoga teachers, studio owners, to get a sense of how things were going uh, at this place that we're at, that we find ourselves at during um, this challenging time. You know, of course, we're, whenever you're listening to this episode, uh, still about 18 months into uh, the COVID pandemic, and there's just so many things that are changing on a daily basis. However, things are really starting to look up for yoga studios in terms of getting more foot traffic. And Molly was uh, willing to come onto the show and share a little bit about her experience. The fun thing about this episode is that I had a chance to talk to her not only about her role as the owner of a studio, but also just to hear her story as a practitioner and, and how she found yoga and how it became something that is just a central part of her life. So that is today's episode. We're going to jump over to that recording. I don't really have any other, um, I know sometimes I start out with different you know, just topics and general themes. Um, I don't really have any of those to share. The one thing I will let you know, though, is at the end of this episode, I do have a new opportunity that I just kind of tagged on the end. I don't want to take up your time in talking about it now. So if you stay on until the very end of the episode, you'll hear that offer. All right. So let's, <clears throat> let's go to that interview with Molly Casto, yoga teacher and owner of the Practice Power Yoga in Bozeman, Montana. Here we go. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and I am so excited for this episode today because I have another guest, 
And this, if you've been listening to the past number of episodes, you know uh, the past few episodes I've had guests and today is no different. So I wanna just dive right in. Molly is with me here. Uh, Molly Casto is coming into us live uh, from Bozeman, Montana. So welcome, Molly. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, of course, of course. So um, let's just kind of give people a sense of, you know, a little bit of background. I'll, I'll start and, and then we can kind of go into a little bit about your story and kind of what I had, what I lovingly call your origin story. Any, any teacher's origin story I love to hear as well as the background on how you started your studio. So for the listeners out there, I have been interested in talking to yoga teachers and yoga teachers who also own yoga studios. Because at this point, you know, here I am recording this, here we are recording this on October 25th, 2021. At this point in kind of the landscape of things, we are, um, you know, 18 months or so into living with the COVID pandemic. And while we're not really going to go into COVID specific type topics today, I wanted to have people on the podcast who could shed some light and give us a window into what it's like in their studios, what it's like as yoga teachers for them teaching during this time. This is I guess you could call it a little bit of the reemergence into getting studios back open, getting schedules back up and running, getting teachers back into studios to teach, getting students hopefully coming back in to practice live and in person. And Molly, when I put the word out on social media, was like, hey, I would love to come on your podcast and share a little bit about what my experience has been. So Molly, first of all, thank you so much for being willing to come on and share a little bit about not only your story in general, but also a little bit about what it's been like for you over the past year and a half. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um I, and actually we have, I grew up close to you. I'm not originally born in Montana. I really, yeah. So I'm an East coaster, um, (laughs) born and raised and relocated to Montana in late 2019. And so I've been learning about living in this wonderful state too recently. And a lot of my experience has been during the pandemic. And so it's been an interesting journey, but, um, I'll bet. Why don't you start a little bit, you know, not a little bit. Why don't you start from the beginning in terms of your introduction to yoga and how you found yourself being interested in teaching? Sure. Well, I grew up, like I said, I grew up on the East Coast and I grew up um, riding horses. My dad was really interested in horses. And um, so I had the, I had that opportunity since I was a kid and grew up riding horses, competing horses. Um, training horses. I did some work where um, we would get race horses who had been um, injured at various tracks on the East Coast, mostly Belmont. And um, we would get these horses and then rehabilitate them as riding horses. And it was just such a neat way to grow up, um, like to be outside and awesome. And, uh, you know, there were obviously some injuries that came along, you know, with that. So, um, by the time I got to high school, I had chronic back pain, um, and that's something I dealt with. And then 
in college, I was in a car accident, um, actually driving to college. And so um, this was in the late 90s and already dealing with chronic back pain and stiffness. And then I'm driving along and just T-bone into another car and driving to college. So I had all of my things. (laughs) And do you remember like the size of computers in like 1997? So all I remember is this huge um, computer monitor. It's like the size of like a mini fridge, like launching by my head. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing that I actually wasn't more hurt than I was, but, um, this accident, like in spite of x-raying clean, it really was, you know, a catalyst around this chronic pain and things got really bad. And, um, you know, I was put on muscle relaxants and painkillers and nobody really knew what to do with me because I, there wasn't a clear diagnosis as to what was going on. And, and so, you, and you, let me just jump in and you attribute, yeah. or do you attribute your back pain to horseback riding? Yeah. I think a lot of the compression and just falls when I was going on growing up, excuse me. And then, um, you know, that whole co- culture of like, you fall off, you dust off, you get back on. And, um, right. yeah, I do think a lot, I, I noticed a clear relationship between all of those hours in the saddle and then having back pain and you never know. I mean, part of it could be genetic, but right. nobody was really clear what it was. And so, right. um, I ended up on all of this medication and that left me feeling numb and depressed and down. And, um, so in college I started seeing a therapist and the therapist suggested I try yoga and, um, I didn't go (laughs) because I was, you know, 18 and not going to listen to a therapist. And um, this was at a time when yoga wasn't really as popular as it is now. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, I already suspected this therapist was a little bit woo woo for me. And then when she suggested yoga, I was like, whoa. (laughs) And then, but I did start seeing a massage therapist and like the massage therapist was like, you know, you should really try yoga. And I didn't go. (laughs) And then eventually I started seeing a chiropractor who I really liked. And she's like, you know, I have a suggestion you should try yoga. And I don't know if it was the power of three or what, but I went. And, um, so I found a building downtown. This was in Burlington, Vermont at the time. And so I found a building that, you know, big brick building that had the word yoga on the side of it. So I went inside and, um, it was actually an Ashtanga studio and I fell in love with it. And within a couple weeks, my back started feeling better. And, um, but what I really noticed was like, the space between my ears was really starting to feel better too. Yeah. And, um, there was like, it was almost like a haze that was starting to lift that I found in that experience of practicing yoga. And over time, um, you know, it's become a really critical part of maintaining my physical body and staying out of pain. Mm -hmm. I was able to get off medication, um, you know, and it was just, it's, it's been a really critical part of my life, but I didn't teach for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I traveled a lot after college. I moved out West. I actually moved abroad. I lived in East Africa for, um, about a year and a half, almost two years and, uh, 2021. But I taught there. Oh, I was, um, managing, um, a study abroad program and service abroad program, um, for, people who like, if you worked, for example, for a pharmaceutical company, 
who, where you were able to take a year long sabbatical paid and go do service work. We had a lot of clients like that who would come or students in college who were doing a semester abroad would come. And I worked with that group on the ground to place them in service projects and homestays. And I mean, it was really amazing, but it was also really far from home. Right. And, um, you know, so practice yoga when you were in East Africa. I did. Yeah. And so I, at that point I had a, I had a fairly well-developed self-practice. So I was able to take that with me Mm -hmm. and, um, it helped ground me with homesickness. I mean, real sickness. I had, I was sick a lot of the time I was there. I was actually in East Africa during nine 11, which was a very strange and terrifying time to be that far from home. I mean, nobody knew what was going on and especially in that part of the world. And I, my self-practice kept me going. I practice every morning for about 20 minutes. And so yoga stuck with me, Wow! but I did. Yeah. (laughs) But I did eventually get home and I don't mean for the whole experience to sound like a bummer. It was amazing. No, no, it's, I mean, I guess it's just, I, I think to hear the story so far, I mean, it's just, I feel like you've lived a lot in, in this phase <laughs> of your life, right? I mean, you already had kind of a, a physical challenge that sounds like it really sort of brought you to your knees to the point where you were on multiple medications. The doctors were sort of throwing up their hands. You were in therapy. And, you know, I, I mean, I know that a lot of yoga teachers have stories of how yoga has helped them. And I think this is another one that certainly has a lot of facets to it. Yeah, it's funny. When I got home from that experience, I was like, I just want to ski bum for a year. And it was like, just at that point when all my friends who'd been doing that were like, I think it's time to get a real job. I was like, <laughs> nope, I'm going to take a year off. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I did. But, um, and I just found, like, I really clung on to my physical practice yeah. where anytime, like, you know, I don't have control over global geopolitics, but I have down dog. (laughs) And I, and I leaned into that a lot in that experience when I was living abroad. Um, but when I got back, you know, wound around, I eventually arrived in Maine, went to grad school in Maine, found a fabulous yoga studio, um, there at the time owned by, um, a teacher who's still a friend of mine named Alice Riccardi. And, um, that's right. Who you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And um, that was a Baptiste yoga studio. Yes. So I immersed myself in that. Um, she encouraged me to start going to some programs with the Baptiste Institute, got curious about that. That was the first time that, you know, the idea of teaching even as a possibility mm-hmm. um, popped into my head, but I didn't really have a lot of interest in it. I was working professionally as an urban planner um, for the city of Portland Mm-hmm. Um, had finished up grad school and was just on a path and didn't question it. Um, but I did like Alice a lot and she hosted her first teacher training mm-hmm. and I just decided to be a part of it <laughs> for yeah. no real reason other than I just wanted to spend more time with her. And I yeah. so much wanted to spend more time with her. I actually signed up for teacher training when my son was three months old. I don't know what I was thinking, but, wow. <laughs> but it worked out. I mean, yeah, everybody's taking like their snack break and I'm like pumping in the bathroom, <laughs> but <laughs> I really, really wanted to be a part of this program and yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. It didn't disappoint. Yeah. And so, um, afterwards, I just, I don't know, it, it stoked a fire for 
wanting to share the practice with other people that I hadn't had before. Mm -hmm. And so after the program, I started teaching for Alice a little bit. And um, for my husband's job, we moved down to Charleston, South Carolina shortly thereafter. So left my Portland community, but just fell into the arms of um, a woman named Beth Plant, who is a Baptiste teacher as well, and had a really bustling, amazing electric community, yoga community down in Charleston. Um, started teaching there, led teacher trainings with Beth down there. Um, and it just became this big part of my life. And it's funny, like the planning professional side where I've been working went from full-time public sector to full-time private sector, to part-time private sector, to five hours a week. And it just evaporated. And it's like, I don't even quite remember the moment when that happened. Just all of a sudden I was teaching yoga full-time and I wasn't doing it anymore. And I was totally fine with that. It never was forced. Mm -hmm. So you really felt like it was your calling, even though it doesn't sound like you kind of intentionally knew it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think if you had asked me, I never felt like it was my calling, Mm -hmm. but it was my calling (laughs) because in spite of fighting, you know, just not, I never pushed and I never identified as somebody who wanted to do this full time, even when it was clear that it was starting to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. I just loved it. Like Mm -hmm. I said, I just kept saying yes. Mm-hmm. to teaching opportunities and um, opportunities to co-lead programs and opportunities to learn more. I just wanted to be in it and there was never an agenda. And mm-hmm. in that way, it just felt so magical and easy. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, <laughs> we're moving towards the conversation about yo- owning a yoga studio in a pandemic. And so it felt magical and easy until it wasn't, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're still yeah. here. I think it's interesting too, because, you know, these days there's so much talk about like manifest your goals and make it happen and find your passion and, you know, all of that. And, and I'm a huge proponent of all of those things. I think it's interesting though, how, you know, based on what you just said, I can't remember exactly the way you worded it, but this idea that not that it fell in your lap, but that you, you really, there was like a purity to me. It sounds like there was like a purity of passion for just sharing it with people without any attachment to the result, right. Of what was going to happen. You were just kind of following your interest in sharing what you loved about it with other people, wherever, however, that ended up looking from an employment perspective. Yeah. And, um, it, it really did. And, but you know, it's funny, like, um, it's easy in the moment to be clear on your values and thinking that you're teaching from your values. And my values have always been, you know, perseverance and hard work and generosity Mm -hmm. and kindness. And I was teaching, you know, 15, 20 classes a week, driving around, like I'm, I'm working so hard. And even though things are so hard, like I am, clear on my values and I love it. And there was so much energy and growth, but, and you've been part of this Mm -hmm. energy as well. I know in your teaching where, you know, yoga was booming. Right. And so I was serving like 300 
50, you know, plus students a week. Like, I mean, you kind of feel like you're playing an arena concert yeah. when you walk into these spaces. And, yeah. um, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it was great and it was fun. But um, I think it really took me, you know, fast forward to now where there were, I was suddenly from that to a place where I was teaching for free. Um, mm -hmm. sometimes to just one person right. who showed up, um, you know, my kids homeschooling downstairs, mm -hmm. not sure. Nobody was sure what was going to happen. It, was, I, it took that, I think for me to truly get into the game mm -hmm. of practicing those values. Yeah. You know, Are not you just professing them. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying that though, when you're describing like the numbers and, and the, the, the smaller groups is that you're saying after COVID or when you moved? No, after COVID. And Got so it. fast forward, to, I'm talking about when we were on lockdown. Right. You know, it's like it takes a moment of introspection. Like, am I really about persevering, right. perseverance, and generosity and kindness? Right. It was really right. easy to profess that when everything was going great and you feel like you're playing, you know, arena concerts twenty right. times a week. Right. It took um, things being less glamorous and mm -hmm. less lucrative and less certain yeah. for me to really step into that. And um, I do work from those values. And I think that's one of the reasons where studio made it and I made it without, you know, totally losing my mind right. <laughs> um, to this point where, and we're not through the pandemic, but, um, and, and even if we get through this one, all, all arrows point to the fact that there will probably be others. And right. I think the yoga landscape has changed permanently. Yeah. And that's okay, um, because just getting the opportunity to share, whether it's to 50 people or one person, is a value I hold. And so I've been grateful to be able to continue doing that. Right, right. So take us through, you know, I know you just mentioned a little bit about, it sounded like you were at one point teaching um, in your house or when you said your kids were being homeschooled, where was that happening? Sure. Well, let me actually start. Um, it's probably best for me to start from where we opened the studio. Yeah. So um, my husband and I lived in Charleston for five or six years and um, he got the opportunity and this, we got the opportunity um, to relocate. We really wanted to do that. We wanted to raise our children in the mountains and, um, we're big skiers and we're just looking for adventure. It's just who we are. Right. And so, um, an opportunity presented itself in Bozeman. And, um, so we just took it yeah. and we left Charleston, South Carolina in late November, 2019. Okay. So you can imagine, and you yep. can imagine, you know, the weather changes as you drive Northwest. And so we were in a 26 foot U-Haul in late November <laughs> wow. and driving, like we just went for it, um, through the snowstorms and everything. Oh. and uh had a fabulous I had a fabulous little location to open a studio in a part of Bozeman Bozeman is not the largest city in Montana but it's fairly large um we're at about I think almost 40,000 people yeah and um had this neat little spot and the studio was slated to open and did open in late January 2020 and it opened with so much energy I mean, mm -hmm. all the classes were packed. It was great. You know, we ran a um, 40 days program, which is a mm -hmm. signature Baptiste yoga program. 
-hmm. my goal was to get 10 people. We -hmm. got 45 to participate. You know, it was like that. Um, you know, and, uh, I do, I remember right away, I had the opportunity to go to a summit, a teacher summit in Northern, in Northern California in early March. And so I got on the plane and went to do that. The studio was doing great. And I was so excited to share all of this good news with friends at the summit. And uh, my husband, Sean started calling me <laughs> being like, yeah. Hey, maybe you should come home. And we, yeah. it, I was in a little bubble. I mean, we didn't know what was going on out in the world outside of Northern California and what we were doing. And I really had no idea what he was talking about until I got home a couple of days later and then the studio was mandated to close within days after that right um and so probably listening to me um up to this point it's pretty obvious but if it's not like i i run kind of hot like i like to move fast and i have energy or especially around things that i'm passionate about yeah um and so i immediately was trying to figure it out and put it all together and uh we moved to online classes within 24 hours wow. and we were doing workshops online and you know my kids were out of school and we were figuring all that and i was just like i'm going to figure it out i'm going to figure it out and um that part of my personality can be a blessing and a curse like i'm really good in conflict yeah like i'm but um i can keep it together and keep everybody together but i'm the kind of person where it's like I've kept everybody together and kept everybody from falling apart. And then when it's over, like I will burst into tears and everybody looks yeah. at me like, what's wrong with her? <laughs> and so and um, did you have teachers on staff, I assume that were teachers? Yes, we, we did at the time. We had um, one, two, three, four teachers in our team. Mm-hmm. And um, one of them did not continue teaching and so we had the three and Mm -hmm. so four total including myself um and we were online we were teaching we and this was before like the software started to catch up with like auto scheduling zoom calls i mean i was on there like letting everybody in doing it all manually and um initially a lot of our students participated and so the classes were fairly big as other options started to come in um the numbers reduced a little bit and you know that's just what happened but um i really needed to be doing all of this work to keep myself grounded at the time like i learned that about myself and so in a way i think it it helped keep our business afloat but also um it helped keep me afloat at a time when everything was really uncertain. I was so far away from home and there was no way to fly anywhere. And so I was, I mean, at the most basic level, I was wondering if I was ever going to be able to see my parents again. Right. And And they were in, where were they? They were in, they were in Maine. So really far away. Yeah. And, and it sounds silly in retrospect, but at the time, I mean, this was when we were all still, you know, wearing gloves and wiping off our groceries. Like nobody knew what was happening. Didn't know. And you were, you were still able to maintain the physical space of your studio during this time. Yes, we were. And um, I think one of the reasons why we ended up being able to get through as quickly as we were, is just that we were so new. Yeah. Um, We had a lot of people reaching out to us with condolences. Like, I can't believe that you know, you just opened and I'm so sorry. And, 
it would have been so much easier. People were just writing us off, basically, like sending their sympathy letters you know, right in the beginning that, you know, oh, well, you tried. But I think one of the reasons that we actually were able to carry through is because we were so new. And so we were able to run really lean. Yeah. You know, three teachers to keep yeah. on one yeah. location. Yep. And a, luckily a very generous landlord. Um, in our particular complex, we have um, a lot of large sort of digitally based businesses as anchor tenants. Yeah. And so they were not impacted because oh, they were all able to work remotely and to do what they do. Right. Um, and then there's a lot of amenity tenants like yoga studios and restaurants and bars mm -hmm. and things like that to make it attractive for those larger anchor tenants to want to move into the complex. And right. so we were kind of small potatoes for our landlord. So luckily they were very um, willing to work with us right. and um, reduce our rent temporarily and do whatever we needed to keep things going. And right. in addition, the state of Montana also offered um, a lot of grants to yeah. um, businesses. So we were able to retrofit the studio with a lot of really great um, COVID related improvements and we put a UV air scrubber into our HVAC system and purchased an electrostatic sprayer to spray off props and mm -hmm. mats and you know we were just yeah and just a lot of other supplies that we needed we set up our, our entire online system so we could move into hybrid teaching when we eventually right. moved back into the studio right. and we so still offer that being ahead to that time yeah, because that, that's how I how I roll. <laughs> I was like right. thinking about all of it all the time. Um, right. And uh, but it was it was it ended up working for us, I think, for that reason, just because we had less to lose and less infrastructure and yeah. employees to hold together. Yeah, I think when you said because you hadn't been around for a while, you know, just you had less fixed costs. So it was you were able to be lean and nimble and you could pivot to the online formula uh, e easily somewhat, um, but yes. you didn't have as much fixed cost built up. So, so that right. definitely gave you an advantage. Um, so, all right, so now, so, so at that point you're doing the online classes, the students are, you know, with you, although it sounds like, you know, like all folks who were, taking yoga classes they were either not practicing as much or finding other options or there were obviously lots of online options that was affecting you on, on some level so when it got to the point where things were reopening from you know the restrictions were being lifted you know in in your state at whatever point that was how did that change things for you in terms of the studio well, okay, so we reopened um, in late June. And so we closed in mid-March and then we reopened the studio in late June um, mm -hmm. on a hybrid model. So we maintained the live stream option, but we were allowing people to come into the studio. Um, we were allowed um, by law to have six students in the studio okay. at a time. Our studio, just for reference, typically accommodated 30. Okay. And... <laughs> Yeah. And so, um, but we, you know, we just had to play by the rules. <laughs> and so we kept right. things going and um, did that. And what we found that people came to, came to the classes. They kind of, <laughs> we know a lot of people were nervous to come back. Um, uh, and so we did have, have a fairly sizable live stream population still. Yeah. It, 
even when allowing six, you know, six was a good day for us. And so in contrast to when we first opened where everything was sold out from day one, like this was an entirely new, new yoga landscape to learn how to navigate. Um, and that, and just the teaching, I mean, it's every business was suffering, but when you're, your business is based on a wellness foundation of being together in community and moving and breathing. It was, I mean, it's like comical. Yeah. The breathing aspect, I think is what, what makes it even more challenging for yoga studios is that the, the whole, you know, or even I think about around the corner for me, there's a spinning studio or gyms, you know, the whole act mm-hmm. of exercising in a closed room. I'm curious in, in those early phases of your reopening, um, had you had a chance to, to hear from any of, of the folks who were coming, who had been coming to the studio, studio regularly prior to the pandemic? And were they saying like, hey, we'd love to come were just concerned about getting sick? I mean, was that, or was it that they had found other things to fill in for their yoga practice and they were doing other things or taking yoga classes online was really what their desire was at that point? Most of our students were ready to come back. Mm -hmm. Um, And interestingly, we we have had and have three or four students who work professionally in public health Oh, okay. who came back and they were always, I always looked at them and checked in with them. They were like my canary in the cage. Like, how are we doing? Right. <laughs> and um, right. they were very confident in what we were doing. And so I was really pleased with our response. We did install the UV system in our HVAC. We had an air purifier on the floor. Mm-hmm. Our teachers were wearing um, face shields and masks at the time. And our students were masked. Mm-hmm. And we had six feet distance between um, mat center to mat center. And um, that seemed to, and in addition to spraying off everything, you know, we had this spray system that just hits everything every time you use it. And we were using um, an approved disinfectant in that. And so they looked at all of that and um, made and felt comfortable. But I think the way that expanded is that we were just really active about sharing it. We were telling people all the time what we were doing um, and not a lot of other studios were doing that. They were either kind of just doing what needed to be done and not talking about it, or they were staying closed. So um, I felt like we really stepped in in spite of being new and to being you know, a leader in the community around that. And so that felt really good and it helped us establish trust with our students. Yeah. But from a teaching perspective and being a teacher's teacher, it's really challenging. And especially the style of yoga that I teach where you're used to a crowded room and it's a lot of breath emphasis and hands-on assists, suddenly now teaching in a face shield and a mask and AirPods. I mean, it was like trying to connect with people from within a sensory deprivation chamber. And so that was challenging. Yeah. Yeah. The AirPods, because you were also live streaming the class at the same time. Correct. Yeah. 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 And I remember when we had an earlier conversation, you had mentioned something about you had to kind of shift how you thought about the home viewer. Uh, And you, I think you had mentioned you shifted the camera placement. Can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I thought that was sure. Thought. Yeah. We started out, um, with a model that we had seen at a lot of other studios where we had the camera facing the teacher. Mm -hmm. So the teacher could 
so basically it was like live humans and an iPad in front of the teacher. And so the teacher could look and see everybody all at once live stream. But what the experience of the student is that they were just looking at the teacher standing there talking because we don't right. practice with our students. Right. And so because we were a new studio and a new style of yoga to this region, most of our students don't have familiarity enough to just practice based on verbal cues. And mm -hmm. I took that for granted. Like it wasn't even in my awareness because I was so used to just everybody being in the room together. I didn't even right. realize how much they were relying on, you know, the student in their peripheral vision to understand the form of the pose. Mm -hmm. So what we did is we ended up shifting the iPad around 180 degrees. And so the iPad was then facing the students. And so the person at home was able to see them. They were able to see the person at home. So it ended up creating some neat connection between everybody in the room and out of the room. I think, you know, for certain students who were out of the room, psychologically, they were like, huh, look at them. They're in the room. They're okay. <laughs> kind of like prompted them to come back. <laughs> and wow, there's actually people there, which they couldn't really see before. Yeah, like, oh, there's stuff going on out there. And yeah. um, and so it it allowed them to start seeing each other and so creating that connection, which ended up working really well. And, you know, they ended up seeing like the back of the teacher a lot, but that didn't really make a difference. And our teachers got really good and I got really good at kind of turning around periodically. And um, I think another part of teaching just, I got really good at using people's names. I thought I was doing that before, but especially during a time where, I mean, what I've been told and what my experience was, people were feeling extremely isolated. Yeah. You know, even if you're the student at home, like, hey, Karen, like, right. turn your left toes down towards the floor. Great. That's good. You know, like yeah. having that connection, it, it changed it from the experience of like a workout video and being disconnected to actually being a part of something that was happening in community. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because a, a lot of times when I talk to teachers, um, the conversation turns to, do you have any tips for teaching virtually to make the students feel more part of the experience to engage the students more, especially when the person has their camera off and you as the teacher can't see them. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of teachers mentioned to me what you mentioned at the top of this part of the conversation which is that they were physically getting exhausted from practicing all the time with their online classes. And yet they were feeling um, challenged around letting go of practicing with their students and just standing and talking as if everybody was in the room together. So can you speak a little bit to how you resisted that urge to get on your mat and put the camera on you and and teach from doing? Absolutely. And I'll talk about it kind of from two ways because I had two different chapters in my online teaching journey. The first one when the studio was closed and we were working exclusively online. And then later when I was teaching from the studio with about 50-50 live stream mm -hmm. students and students. Mm -hmm in the room. Um, and I couldn't imagine having to have practiced with my student. I mean, it was all I could do to keep, you know, my kids from climbing in my lap while I was teaching from our upstairs guest room. And so <laughs> it just yeah. wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah. what I found for when I was teaching exclusively online, 
I had, I would have a student that I trusted um, or a teacher from the studio who wanted to practice. And I would confirm that they were coming to the class. And then I would have that. I would, and I would arrange this with them in advance to have them on spotlight. Okay. And so every, so it would be my voice. And then that student who had, I mean, and it didn't have to be, you know, the next cover model for yoga journal, just somebody who has a basic understanding of the form of the postures and then having that be the visual. And so at that point, it didn't really matter if people had their video on or not. And I also found that more people had their video on because they knew that there was somebody that was spotlighted. So not everybody was watching them. So I was able to teach to students because I could see everybody. Right. You know, and so I was able to talk to different people's bodies, but everybody had the same person that they were looking at who had already volunteered for that job for that particular class. So I found that a lot of the video off was just around being self-conscious that, you know, the whole studio, the, everybody else in the class was kind of eyeballing like what their bedroom looked like or what their warrior one looked like. Right. (laughs) And it took a lot of that out of it. And so I was grateful that I figured that one out sooner rather than later. And then later, like I mentioned, once we had um, people in two places at once, just the general flipping around of the iPad so students yeah. could, so the students online could see everybody in the room made a huge difference for us. Yep, yep. So just for people who aren't familiar with the spotlight functionality, can you just explain the technical piece of that? Sure. Um, yeah. And so you, when you have your list of participants in your class on, and I'm talking through Zoom. Yeah. Um, I know, for example, MindBody has a slightly different live stream platform that might present differently, but through Zoom, um, when you go to the list of participants, you have the option to um, spotlight video. And so what that results in is that whatever, per, whatever participant you select as a spotlight, um, that is the person who's box will take over the whole screen and who all the other participants will be able to see. Mm-hmm. So the, the viewer is not seeing you. They're just seeing that person and hearing your voice. Yeah. Okay. And I'm a big, I'm a big believer in always providing um, a roadmap and context at the start of my classes. And yeah. so I never keep any of this a secret. I mean, I'm like, here's my name. Thank you for being here. Right. This is what we're doing this is Emily. She's going to be on spotlight. (laughs) This is why you're still going to hear my voice. Like, so everybody knows what's happening. Yeah. 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 I feel like even doing an intro like that, as if you were in the room live can really cut the awkwardness that some teachers feel. And quite frankly, that some students feel around the whole online experience. And I, I just love that just very practical, like, hey, I'm Karen, and, you know, I'm really excited to be here, and we're going to go through a one-hour flow, and here's what we're going to focus on, you know, you can have your camera on, you can have your camera off, whatever's comfortable for you, you know, just giving people a lay of the land. Um, Yeah, and I give them the pros and cons around that. I'm like, if you have your camera on, I'm way more able to help you with your personal practice, and it's okay if you prefer to have your camera off, and so I try to incentivize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, you know, there's some days I don't want to have my camera on, so right. I can't blame it. I can't blame others if they feel that way. Right. And I do know some people have said to me, 
you know, similar to what you're saying that they currently have a child in the room or, you know, there's something going on in their home that is just going to be distracting for other people, or maybe they choose to just not want to show that aspect of their home. So um, I think that that is certainly someone's prerogative. And I, I actually like when that kind of thing comes up or somebody shares that because it does tend to, you know, if the teacher's feeling any kind of not anxiety, but just wondering, like, I wonder why that person doesn't have their camera showing, not that they owe anyone an explanation, but it is kind of nice from the teacher's perspective to, um, to hear a little bit about, oh, you know what, just to let you know, I'm going to have my camera off and, and here's why. If people choose to share that, sometimes that can cut a little bit of the awkwardness that the teacher might be feeling. Uh, well, sure. And I just think it's such a powerful experiential lesson around the it's not about you concept. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Totally. Absolutely. As a, I, as a recovering person who loves to make everything about me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other, you know, interesting thing about teaching online is, is I don't want to say it lowers the bar, but in a way it's kind of when you were talking about values before, you know, it, it kind of makes us think, I would think it potentially makes us think, aren't we just glad that people are just showing up? Like, honestly, I don't even really, it doesn't even really matter from here what happens. The fact that the person showed up and is willing to move around a little bit on the yoga mat, that's great. And anything else on top of that is icing on the cake given, you know, I think on some level, even though there's an ease to access information online, I think there still is, you know, a new routine that people have fallen into where it does still take a certain amount of effort to log into that class and show up. Oh yeah. And I really believe, um, and I know that there's been a huge commercial uptick in the sales and production of pre-recorded video, right. but I find that live stream, if you can't do it in person, live stream is just such a different and wonderful option because it does still create that human to human real life right. connection that right. people I inherently crave, but especially early on in the pandemic, I would stay mm -hmm. on, on maybe 10 or 15 minutes after just to check in mm -hmm. with my students and especially those who I remember this like younger set like 20 to 25 26 years old mm -hmm. you know like still living alone in an apartment like just right. starting out I was maybe the only person that they really talked to wow you know yeah. on a given day for a little while I mean and I'm right. talking like the early on sure. and that really meant something to me to be able to offer that to people that I wouldn't have been able to do with pre-recorded videos even if that may have been you know an easier less labor-intensive time-intensive option yeah yeah it's a differentiator for sure in terms of why someone would connect with your online platform versus another pre-recorded piece of content so um all right so now you know, kind of moving us towards that was June. So moving us through kind of into the fall and into now, what what are things looking like for you now? Well, um, the studio is open and we're still offering the live stream option throughout mm -hmm. the pandemic. We started we actually started getting some really cool, fun, engaged clients from other states. And so we wanted to have them, you know, still be able to participate and to also um 
have a viable option for our students if they were not feeling well. Right. You know, to, we wanted them to stay home. <laughs> so we're right, incentivizing right. people to stay home and still be able to be a part of the practice and mm -hmm. not even not feeling well if they were feeling fine, but had to quarantine for some reason. Right. So it gave us that and it's so inexpensive to run. So we still keep that going. Um, we have chosen to be at about 60% capacity in the studio. So we cap it at you know, 20. And um, I find that it, it was more, we're allowed to do what we want. I mean, legally, there mm -hmm. isn't a restriction on numbers now in the state of Montana, but yeah. I just found that people's concept of their personal space bubble has shifted yeah. and maybe forever and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, did I lose you there? Offering that extra space, um, an extra wingspan for people was important. So we've done that. Um, right. But people are coming back. And I would say our classes, our class numbers right now, which, you know, I'm, what, what's considered a big class number varies by community and air and region of the country, but we hover around 10 to 15, sometimes 20 students, most classes, and that feels really good. That's great. Yeah, I would think a room of 15 people doing yoga together would be um, a really great feeling. And I know there's a lot of things that people do now and they say, oh, it almost felt like normal, but I would think that would be definitely one of those things. It feels really, really good. And, yeah. um, you know, knock on wood and knock on everything, we haven't had any issues um, yeah. at the studio. And we've continued to run programming too. We run two teacher trainings. Um, given that we have a new style in uh, our area, we had to run teacher trainings because I needed teachers. <laughs> so oh, right, right, right. we've been able to pull that off and we have another one starting this spring and um, actually just put forward a 300 hour advanced training too. And so it's, it's just great to be able to be in creation and to feel mm -hmm. that um, optimism again. Mm -hmm. Because I lost that for a while. I really, I really wasn't sure what was happening. Right. Right. I, I hear, though, in your voice, a, a healthy sense of optimism for the future, though. Yes, I think so. It, and it, I feel like in a way it confirmed my suspicions that, you know, connecting with real live people in a healthy way um, in person in the moment is just an inherent human need. And it's in our brainstem. And people will come back to that and it may take slightly different shapes, you know, to keep it safe and sustainable. But at the end of the day, like the being, being together, moving and breathing together model is not obsolete. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of interesting when you tell your whole story, uh, at least up till now, um, your personal journey to find yoga and that it was an anchor for you and that it was a healing practice for your physical body as well as your mental state. Um, that kind of is a parallel with what you're saying now, you know, in terms of people, you know, on some level really do want that level of connection with other people for both reasons, the physical aspect, as well as the mental and psychosocial aspect. Absolutely. No, I've seen it. I mean, I love to think that my experiences are all original and 100% unique, but it's not the case. I think most of us have these experiences and these needs. And yeah. um, it's just exciting to see people come through the door and yeah. that look on their face, especially when they're like, 
this is the first time I've been here since March yeah. of 2020. Yeah. Right. And it's, I love being able to have to offer that for people yeah. and just to be that like in their corner as their grounding right. practice so they can go out and live their most powerful life because it has this expansive effect on how they show up in their world and then how the people they interact with show up in their world. And it sounds kind of woo-woo, but like, it's, it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely true. And it's interesting too, to me as, you know, again, as I listen to you talk, you know, I kind of have this, this thought that popped in my head, which I don't know how this is going to, if this will resonate with you, but I kind of feel like in a way you're, you sort of are like the accidental yoga teacher. Cause you didn't really know or think intentionally that you wanted to teach, but you knew you just loved it and you wanted to share with other people and you became this powerful teacher. And now you have a studio. And I guess I'm wondering, like, did you know you wanted to own a studio? Because now you're just this, you know, person who is providing not only the yoga practice, but so much more for the people who come through your doors during this time. And I'm almost wondering, do you, do you feel like you're sort of an accidental studio owner too? Or did you feel at some point, like, I definitely want to have a studio and run a studio? Um, Accidental, yes and no. I would say yeah. early on, I never had the vision of teaching, let alone wanting to own a studio. Right. As I started right. to move in to teaching full time and took on more leadership responsibilities at the studio that I was working at, um, it started to cross my mind. I mean, a lot of the work that is commonly considered like the drudgery yeah. in the industry, like I love that stuff. Like I love like logistics and spreadsheets and right. tinkering with software that's acting up and emailing people and mm. dealing with the HR dramas that arise. And, you know, and most of the time studio owners, when I started talking about the idea of like, Oh, you know, one day I might really want to open a studio. It's like, Oh, watch what you wish for. You're going to hate all this stuff. And I was like, I like that stuff. Like, I don't know. And I can't explain why I like that stuff. Like it yeah. sounds sort of insane, but I don't know. It's like little challenge games all day long. And, um, it's, I just, I dig it. I really do. And, um, yeah. so it's worked out and, I think it makes it easier. And it's also, it also makes, um, but it's, you know, it's like everything has its light side and its shadow side. Also right. owning a business um, and kind of liking that stuff. It's easy to let it consume too yeah. much of my time. Mm -hmm. And so recently my practice has been around like, okay, you have a designated day or two days off every week where you don't get to look at any of this, which is especially challenging also because so many things are at face now. It's like, I can, I can adjust the humidifier in my practice room from my cell phone. <laughs> so, um, yeah, really being diligent about turning all of it off and, um, starting to create boundaries because there is a creep, especially when you love what you do. Oh yeah, for sure. It doesn't feel like work because you're just doing what you love. So I, I, and I don't know, again, that's another thing that can sometimes sound sort of trite and oversaid, but it, it definitely, there is um, a lot of truth to it. And I think what you're talking about is the, the barriers, the physical barriers for so many things are gone now because we've created these virtual highways into so many different things we used 
to just do in person. Yeah. So the discipline has to come from within. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I love that you're, you know, you've got teacher trainings on tap and are you finding that people out there in your community are interested in, you know, being a yoga teacher, you know, that, that folks are not thinking, oh gosh, I don't think this is an industry that's going to, you know, have opportunity because of concerns about physical practice in person. You know, you're right. finding folks are interested. Yes. Interestingly, um, because we have two teacher trainings on tap, um, and I'm not sure I fully understand the reasons behind what I'm about to share, but I'm un untangling it. There's a tremendous amount of interest in um, our 200 hour training. That's so people great. that have never had any previous training, um, mm -hmm. it doesn't start till April and we already have people applying um, and asking mm -hmm. about it. And so I had thought that it would be the opposite, <laughs> you know, that advanced, more advanced teachers, established teachers, 200 hour teachers would be feeling burnout and would want to um, pursue a 300 hour training to, you know, just get to recalibrate in a way. Right. We've found there's less interest in that training right now mm -hmm. and more for people that have no experience and it's new who want to do their first 200 hour training. Yeah. And I suspect that there's been, um, you know, just people coming to their mats in a needing it in a new way right. and maybe creating, and this, I suspect it. And based on conversations I've had, you know, that this new relationship to their yoga practice as a cornerstone of their health and wellness and mental health practice, not just their physical fitness practice has right. had an impact and they want to learn more. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, maybe existing teachers are just so burnt out that they're just not ready to lean in and invest right now. And that's okay too, but right. it'll be interesting right. to see how it all shakes out. Yeah. I mean, you wonder if some people are looking at it as um, a potential side gig and with less barriers to entry, because once you're a registered yoga teacher, you could essentially just open a virtual studio, so to speak, by teaching online without really needing to be quote unquote hired by a physical brick and mortar studio. So that, you know, could be, could be something. And, you know, I also wonder too, I think during the pandemic, so many people have focused on improving their education, their self, you know, kind of not just academic education. So as you say, some of them might just be investing as, as we've seen forever is that, that section of people who enroll in teacher training because they love yoga and they don't necessarily want to teach. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm here for all of it. I think it's great. It's certainly, um, I think adds a level of energy that we want to see in the industry that we want to talk about um, rather than, you know, I had a conversation with a teacher recently and she said, it's so difficult to be a yoga teacher these days. And you know, I, I'm not a huge glass half full, glass half empty person, but I kind of did hear that as a glass half empty statement. And um, yeah, I don't know your thoughts on that in terms of, you know, if someone were to say to you, oh, it's so difficult. I mean, to me, talking to you, it sounds so optimistic and I'm very energized in everything that you're sharing. Yeah, it's it's humbling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think what's considered a victory looks 
different. And again, I, you know, for me, in order to stay optimistic, as I said early on, I had to get really clear in my enthusiasm around serving right. one person right. and, um, and real, I mean, not just lip service, like really commit to that. And right. once I got there, everything above that starts to feel like abundance and right. a blessing and potential. Right. And so that's been, um, an important place to, to live um, throughout this whole experience. Um, I, I think we just had to work really hard and be really kind of spidey and scrappy at times and creative and look at all the grant options and to push through. And, but if you're willing to do the work, I mean, the studio is starting to profit and thrive and grow. And part of that also, I think is where we are. I mean, yoga in Montana is newer, yeah. you know, and so there's that new discovery energy that, um, I feel here in our community that, you know, you might not feel as readily in like a New York or a Boston. Um, and so that's been great too. And that may factor into it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in hearing you speak and as we kind of wrap up here, I'll just, I think these are good themes to end on, you know, this idea of when you were just talking about getting really crystal clear on what your values are and what's really important to you. And when you anchor into those, it doesn't matter how many people show up. And to me, if I step back from that, I kind of see that as almost like an adjustment of expectations and not to say to dilute anything, but just to adjust expectations, you know, given all of what's happening. And then the other thing you said, which I think is so true is to just and I, you didn't literally say this, but this is something I took from what you said, this idea that when you said you have to stick with it. So to me, what I hear when, when you say that is you have to commit to the somewhat long-term because that's where you start to see positive change. It doesn't always happen in a week or 30 days when it comes to things like we're talking about. It takes, it takes longer. And if you're doing all the right things and you know, you've got your values in place and um, you've adjusted expectations, you will get to a new place and then you'll look back and you'll be like, wow, that was a difficult time we worked through and we did it. Yeah, and I mean, I tell my, te my new teachers when they're, on, they're new to the studio or on the schedule with a new class that even at the best of times, it takes three months mm -hmm. to build a foundation for a class. And so just to keep showing up, show up for that one person and have that yeah. be the best class they've ever had because then they're going to bring a friend and then Absolutely. that person's going to be a friend and that's the way it goes and I just I mean I don't want to seem all love and lighty around right like, yeah teach teach to one, own a studio and just teach one person for right. nothing and it's all great I mean you have to keep right. the lights on right. you, know, you have to pay rent and so you have to be smart and business savvy and strategic mm -hmm. but um I think w working all of that diligence behind the scene the scenes is critical. And at the same time, when you get in front of a group, having just creating an environment where they feel like they're part of something special and that they matter. And if it's just two people that it's important and valuable that they're there, you know, that's been the foundation of like helping people feel seen and appreciated. That's grown our yoga community in spite all, in spite of all of the obstacles. Yeah. No, I think these are all, I don't think anybody listening to you speak will think that you're all kind of, you know, rose colored glasses. I mean, I think you have a really great balance of both the practical and objective and 
the spiritual and leadership and optimistic and and that. So it's a, it's a great it's a great blend, and I and I can see it's really served you well, and it allowed you to um, to really make the changes you needed to make. And you know, maybe on some level, I don't want to say it was luck, but maybe on some level, what you mentioned before, the fact that you were newer, did give you a certain leanness that other studios that had been around for some time just didn't have just by virtue of how long they'd been out there. Um, so I just, I don't know, I just think all of those themes are just so important for people to hear. And I'm sure as people are listening, I'm hoping it does resonate with them. And if they are feeling a little bit uh, down that it will give them a renewed sense of energy. So as we wrap up here, you know, why don't we just kind of you know, you're a teacher, but you're also a teacher of teachers because you have um, teachers in your studio that you work with. If someone is out there, uh, Molly, and they're listening and they are feeling a little bit like, oh, I'm just feeling the heaviness right now of teaching. Is there something that you can share with them that you think might give them just a sense of um, maybe a little bit of that optimism or maybe just some something that you might suggest they do to kind of find their way again? Yeah, I mean, for me, the biggest um, practice I've had to step into in the moments when I was feeling overwhelmed or disheartened or down or lacking direction is to come back to my practice, because mm -hmm. I can't teach from an empty cup. Right. So luckily, I mean, the unfortunate thing is so many of us were pushed online. One of the blessings is some you know, my favorite teachers and people I used to have to get on an airplane to yeah. go see you know luckily once every three years yeah. i could i had ready access to at my fingertips yeah. and so really leaning into that and even if it's just you know a course where you do a 30 minute something once a week with somebody who right. inspires you um get do that like do that for yourself um because it'll re-inspire teaching and recalibrate like your values and direction mm-hmm no, I love that. I love that. So um, as we wrap up here, why don't you share the name of your studio? And for folks that are listening, um, well, really anywhere, they can access your online classes. So let them know how they can do that. Sure. Um, so the name of our studio is The Practice Power Yoga. And so our website is all of that, <laughs> thepracticepoweryoga.com. Um, so you can go on there and get more information about me and about our studio and about what we offer. Um, every single one of our classes is offered um, either in studio or on live stream. And so we do all of our booking through MindBody online. And so if you are curious and want to take a class and especially check out kind of how we do that configuration of the iPad for those hybrid yeah. classes, yeah. hop on and um, you'll see that and every class is either written, the, there's the class time, the class type, and then in bold, it will say in studio or live stream. And so it's pretty clear what to sign up for. Awesome. Um, but yeah, and my email is molly at thepracticepoweryoga.com. And so I'm always here to answer questions and provide support. I'm so grateful to the people and mentors in my life who've done that along the way. And so I'm happy yeah. to offer that to anyone. That's great. Well, this has been so great. I really, really thank you for your time. You know, I never quite know exactly where these conversations are going to go. Um, and I just love all the different things that you brought up and, and they're just such great themes as well as just some really tactical ground level stuff that gives us an eye on as listeners, 
to what's happening in, in your neck of the woods. So thank you very, very much, Molly. I love talking to you. Thank you, Karen. I really appreciate the opportunity. It means the world to me. Of course. I'm really glad to, to have the platform to be able to connect with, with you. All right. So we're going to be signing off for now, but I'm sure that we'll be connecting again offline soon. Great. Looking All forward right. to it. Have a Bye -bye. great day. You too. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you go, I want to let you know about a new mini course I just created as of October 2021. It's called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program mini course. It's essentially an introductory version to my signature program that teaches you anatomy so that you grow your confidence in sharing cues and sequences and in all those conversations you have with your students. If you're like some of the yoga teachers I speak to, you might feel as if you don't have the time to do my full program. That's one of the main reasons I created this mini course, which will give you all the same steps in my signature blueprint approach to teaching you anatomy and will allow you to complete it in much less time. There are 10 modules each of about 10 minutes each, and the entire program walks you through mini lessons from the larger program. You'll leave with specific new skills that you can start to use right away. You may also leave with a keen interest in enrolling in the larger program because your curiosity and confidence have been stoked. For you, the podcast listener, I'm offering $5 off the purchase price of the mini program, which is just priced at $27, so the cost will go down to $22 for you. Once you complete the mini course, you'll see in the next steps section how to get a $50 credit to put towards the larger program should you decide to invest in that in the future. To purchase the mini program, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com, click the link for online courses and select the mini course link. When you check out before you enter your credit card, enter the code podcast and you will receive the $5 off. I hope you enjoy the program. I hope it stokes your curiosity and builds your confidence. Namaste.